0: So I'm excited uh, to talk to you guys today. I've really enjoyed our work through the Psalms. Um, I think it's been fantastic. I've loved hearing Aaron and Callie and Chad talk about uh, the different Psalms. And i got to say, when Chad came to me to ask me to participate in this sermon series, I was really pumped because uh, the Psalms are amazing. There's so many great Psalms. There's those like amazing promises that come in the Psalms. My favorite promise in the Psalms is Psalms 91. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he will acknowledge my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him in honor. With, lo- with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Right? Like this beautiful promise of God to us and they're all through the Psalms. And in the Psalms, there's also just these incredible passages. Sorry, that was my son, and I thought he was going to say something to me, and he's just going to the bathroom. There are these incredible passages, like yeah. Anyway, sorry. There are amazing promises, and in these incredible passages, where we've taken the language and we've turned it into these beautiful hymns, like the one that comes to mind for me all the time is Psalm 84: "How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty." My soul yearns and even faints For the courts of the Lord He hears my flesh cry out For the living God Better is one day in your courts Than a thousand elsewhere Right? These incredible songs That have come from the psalms That we sing over and over and over again And then there's also Just this beautiful poetry in the psalms Like Psalm 23 Which is a psalm that we talked about In this series Right, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me to lay down beside green pastures and next to still waters. It's this beautiful poetry. So when Chad brought me the task of preaching on some of the psalms, I was excited. And then he gave me Psalm 150. And I got bummed because Psalm 150 sticks. Um, It is a total letdown and it is a weird... From my perspective, when I first heard Psalm 150, it is a weird ending, a strange conclusion to this beautiful book. And I got to say, I was kind of bummed. And I didn't look at it for like two weeks because I didn't want to look at Psalm 150 because Psalm 150 stinks. Um, And once I started looking at it, I did learn some things about the Psalm. And I think I've come to a reason... That this psalm is at the end of the book And the reason is this children's book There's a monster at the end of this book And what Psalm 150 shows us is that there's also a monster at the end of Psalms How many of you guys have read this? This is my favorite kids book, right? And it starts with furry lovable old Grover Begging you, please, please, please Do not turn the pages of this book Because when you get to the end of the book, there's a monster at the end of the book. So I'm begging you, don't turn the pages. And then with every page, he yells and screams, please don't turn the page. And he puts big barriers in your way. He builds brick walls and giant uh, fortifications to stop you from turning the page. And then when you turn it, it makes a giant mess. And he... He praises you for how strong you are for being able to turn the pages. This is a feel-good book. makes me feel great. And when you get to the end of the book, he recognizes that lovable, furry old Grover is the monster at the end of the book. And so it's okay. Because the monster at the end of the book is actually friendly and nice. And as I was looking into Psalm 150, it occurred to me that there's also a monster at the end of Psalms. But it's not furry, lovable old Grover. And it's not cute and nice. So what I want to do today is I I want to read through the Psalm. We're going to break it down verse at a time. We're going to talk about what the Psalm is doing. And like good investigators, we're going to keep asking the question, who is the monster at the end of Psalms? And I think at the end, we'll, we'll all know. So let's start with Psalm 150 verse one. Praise the Lord. Right off the top, the psalmist is going to state for us what this is about. He starts and ends the psalm this way. Praise the Lord. That's what we're doing in this psalm. Let there be no confusion. We're praising the Lord. And then he says, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. I think it's important to note that when we talk about where we're praising God, because that's what this psalm is. This psalm is a who, what, when, why, where, and how of praise. So when we're talking about where we're praising God, let's first note that these aren't places where we can be. Right? In His mighty heavens. I look at His mighty heavens from afar. I can observe His mighty heavens if I'm taking mighty heavens as the sky. But I think this is supposed to be more metaphorical. That God is in God's space and it's not in our sanctuaries it's not in our places of worship that we praise him it's in his sanctuary in his space so right off the bat the psalmist is letting us know when we're talking about praising God we're talking about sending something to where he is it's not about us it's not about here it's about there And right away the psalmist is letting us know that where he is, is not within our comprehension. We should know that the only way we can actually describe where the presence of God is, is through metaphor. And through these vague descriptions that we've created to try to understand him, words like omnipresent. Where is he? He's everywhere. Omnipresent. What does that actually mean? Where does God exist? He exists in His heavens. What does that mean? Are we talking about like a cathedral in the clouds? Are we talking about like the galaxies above? What are we talking about? And the, the answer is we don't actually know. What we know is that we understand that He is above us, not just not physically. But in greatness and grandeur, and so that when we want to see him, we look up, because looking up gives us the appropriate perspective of who he is. And that's how the psalmist starts. We praise him up, there, because that's where he is. So we get the where, and in verse 2, we get the why. Praise Him for His acts of power and praise Him for His surpassing greatness. There's another interesting thing the psalmist does here. All the time in the psalms, we talk about praise Him for His greatness, for His great works, for His great acts. And then a lot of times the psalmist will go on to list what those are. He's our loving Savior. He's kind to us. He's strong. He's our fortifications in times of battle. He was the God that led us out of Egypt. He was the God that brought us to the promised land, flowing with milk and honey. He was the God that was with that honeymoon period called the exile. He's that God. Right? Often the psalmist will say, Praise Him for His mighty works and then give us space to talk about all the ways we've seen God in in action. Psalm 150 does not do that. Psalm 150 does not give you space to relate God to you. Psalm 150 does not allow me to take the greatness of God and image it through my experiences. Psalm 150 says, praise Him for His acts of power. And for his surpassing greatness. This is the what of praise. The where above us. The what for who he is. And how he demonstrates it. All of these are clues to discovering who the monster at the end of the book is, by the way. So let's go to the third verse. Verses three through five are the how. the where, the what, and now we get the how. Praise him with resounding trumpets. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with the tambourine dancing. Praise him with the strings and the flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with the resounding cymbals. And the cynical side of me says, that's just lazy. You can't rhyme the same word with the same word. It's just bad poetry. But the image the psalmist is giving us is how do we praise him? Get everything that's around you that makes some kind of celebratory noise. And use that. Everything that's around you, some kind of celebratory noise. Whether it's you dancing, or the harp, or the lyre, or the flute. The image that comes to my mind is of a long string of children with pots and pans. Banging and shouting and yelling and marching through the house in celebration. And this is the how of praise. So the where of praise is there. And the the what of praise is the greatness and astounding nature of God. And the how of praise is however you can be joyful. However you can celebrate. Do that thing. And the psalmist is going to end with the who of praise. Praise. Let everything that have breath praise the Lord. Anything that breathes, they get to pick up the pots and pans and walk around the room banging and yelling. Anything that breathes. And then the psalmist ends. Praise the Lord. Where? He's in his heavens. What are we praising Him for? Because He's God. Surpassing greatness that we can't even describe. And acts of power that we observe. How? With anything that's celebratory. Anything that's joyful. Anything that's great. Who? Everyone who's breathing. Praise the Lord. And now I realize that the monster at the end of the book Is me Because The reason I don't like this psalm Is it has nothing to do with me I love the promises of God I love hearing about how he's going to be my salvation And my strength and my shield And my shelter In my time of need I love that so much It makes me feel so good And I love singing about better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. And while it does point up and say his courts are this amazing place, it lets me go, and I get to be there! And I love the deep metaphoric poetry of things like Psalm 23 because it paints for me these images of a faithful God who takes care of me and I know what the valley of the shadow of death feels like because I've walked through it and I know what it is and I can relate to it and so it allows me to praise God and His surpassing works of power that He's done for me because I can attach to it because it's about God and me and it's about how God relates to me and it's about how much God loves me. I like the Psalms when they're about me. When they're not about me, I find them boring. And that's a problem. And it reminds me that there's a monster at the end of this book. And that monster is not for a, a Old Grover. It's selfish, self-obsessed, self-focused, needy, Immature me My first girlfriend Was uh, I was in 7th grade Her name was Ashley Ashley was really pretty I mean really pretty For a 7th grade girl She was a 10 And I went to church with Ashley So I only saw her once a Sunday Um, And in the middle of youth group I went up to her and I said Um, hey, uh, you want to be my girlfriend? And she was like, okay. And I was like, cool. And so we sat next to each other in church and we held hands during the service. And the whole time we were holding hands, I was looking around. I was like, I got it. Check me out. The dirty secret is, is that I actually wanted to date Ashley's older sister, Paige, because she was prettier than Ashley, and she was a senior in high school, but she wasn't going to have anything to do with a seventh grader. We're not going to talk about that, though. So, I held hands with her one Sunday, and then I went home, and I didn't see her for a whole week, and I came back to church, and she was sick that week, so I didn't see her then, and then I went home, and I didn't see her for a whole week, because she lived in a different town, and... I came back to church again, and I saw her again, and we held hands again, and we were dating, and it was great. And then I, came, I went a whole week without talking to her again, and then I came to church, and I didn't see her because she was sick again, and then we came back, we came back to church the fifth week. We dated for five weeks, y'all. And I, I asked her to go to the movies with me. Um because I had been at school, like bragging about her and talking about how pretty she was. It was like, I have a girlfriend. And telling all my friends, I actually ended up bringing a picture of us. This was before cell phones. So I had like a pic, a, like physical picture that I had got my mom to print off at me at like the, the local pharmacy. And I was like, this is her. And they were like, no way. And I'm like, yeah, isn't she pretty? And they're like, yeah, but you're not in that picture with her. So we don't believe you. I was like, no, it's real. And then I went to church on the fifth Sunday and I tried to hold her hand in the pew and she didn't want to hold my hand. And afterwards she told me that she didn't think this relationship was working out. And I went back to school and I told everyone at school that I had dumped Ashley because I was over it. She's sick all the time. I never even get to see her. It's totally my decision. That first relationship was all about me. Ashley was really just a prop. She was a pretty prop. But that's what she was. Asking her to be my girlfriend was about making myself feel great. Holding her hand in church was about showing off that I could hold her hand in church. And walking around with her picture at school was about telling everybody how cool I was. Ashley was just a prop. As I matured and grew older and started dating Wendy, I came to have an understanding of love that was actually about the other person, about seeing them for who they are outside of me about understanding that her beauty and her gifts and her talents have absolutely nothing to do with me. And that the privilege of being in a relationship with her is that I get to see those things all the time. And that I get to celebrate them. And that's love. Love looks at the other and lips it. Uplifts it. Love looks at the other. And says. Man. It's just great to be here with you. Mature love. Psalm 150 is mature love. Psalm 150. Can bring this beautiful. And dramatic. And powerful conclusion. To the end of a book. And leave us out of it. And that is a mature relationship with God. One that I learned this week, I'm still uh, pressing toward, since my first reaction to the psalm was not this one, but one I think uh, we can all achieve, we can all grow into. So what I want us to do today, we're going to do an art project to end our conversation about the song. I'm going to make Wendy come up and play. And at the end of your pews, there are a bunch of blue cards and a bunch of pens. So everybody get a blue piece of paper and a pen. And here's what I want us to do to celebrate the end of the psalms we're going to do something that's not about us I want you to write on that piece of paper some adjectives whatever adjectives come to mind I want you to write descriptions Of who God is. But here's the catch. They can't have anything to do with you. So, Savior, if you can put my Savior in front of it, don't write it on that card. It doesn't mean he's not that. It just means today, we want to look up into the heavens. And describe him apart from ourselves. Because it's not about us. Mm -hmm. Because while, yes, this is our journey and this is our path and he's this amazing part of it and we wouldn't be who we are without him and every day with Jesus is better than the day before. We want to move from our junior high relationship with him to a true marriage. To admiring him for who he is. And understanding that it's just a privilege. It's just a privilege to know him. So write on their adjectives. Descriptive words. That are about God. That have nothing to do with you. Again. If the, if you can put my in front of it. Don't write. Another way to go about this is ask yourself what, at, what attributes of God do you know are real that you haven't seen in your own life? We're going to take a couple minutes to do this and then we'll pray. so right and you can keep working what I want to do now though is pray together and you don't have to but when you're comfortable I want you to just call out the word you wrote I'm going to pray and I'm going to say God we believe you are And if you're comfortable in the silence, again, you don't have to. Just call it out. We all have breath. So let's celebrate him for a minute. And talk about who he is. Dear God, we praise you. We praise you in your sanctuary. We praise you in your mighty heavens. We praise you for your acts of power and your surpassing greatness. Lord, we lift up our trumpets and our harps and our lyres, our tambourines. Lord, we dance in front of you. We clash our cymbals and they make a resounding gong, Lord. Let everything that has breath on earth praise you, God. Because, God, you are unending. Lord, we just confess that we are the monsters at the end of the book. And we're sorry for that, Father. We're sorry for our immaturity. We thank you for loving us despite the fact that we seem like little children running around with pots and pans. And we just say, Lord, it's a privilege to be in your presence even if we don't fully understand what that presence is. We love you, God. You are our king. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. As Wendy's team comes back up, I just want to encourage you for a second. Um, find a way to keep that card you wrote around you. I went ahead and taped mine to the back of my phone. Um, I think part of dwelling on the greatness of God is dwelling on the greatness of God beyond just today. And you guys, especially those of you who were in Sunday school last week, know I love my spiritual discipline. So grab a card. If you want to do what I've done, there's tape in the heritage room afterwards you can just grab a piece and tape it to the back of your phone I suggest you keep it there for a couple of days so that every time you take your phone out you can be reminded of who God is outside of us That's awesome.